Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 259 of the iFreak Show. Today in our panel, we have Andrew Madsen. Hello from Salt Lake City. Erica Sadoon. Hello from Denver, Colorado. And we have a super, most excellent, awesome guest panelist. Please welcome Dave DeLong. Hello from also near Salt Lake City. All right, so the, the Salt Lake contingent is going strong. This is James Uber, not James Uber, as I think 23% of our listeners think it is. I'm calling from Minneapolis. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. So that's the panel. We have a guest today. Please welcome Abby Jackson. Hello from Vancouver. BC, Canada. BC, Canada. <laughs> yeah, not, not Vancouver, Washington. Yeah, the next question when somebody says they're from Vancouver is always which one. Yeah. I've never heard anyone say that. Actually, well, I have. Yeah, when you live above Washington, it, it does come up. Okay. Uh, Abby, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm an iOS developer. I uh, have been working for about three and a half years. Um, I was a nanny and I did a boot camp, an uh, eight week boot camp that launched me into being a developer. And um, I've had a lot of really good luck where I've worked. I, I worked on um, for an agency for the first year and then I worked for Intel on the Vont AR glasses project and now I work at MasterCard and fraud detection. That's pretty impressive for three years out of a boot camp. How did you get started? Um, well, really, I had been I had had an injury a long time ago, and so um, I had only been working part time as a nanny. And I realized that I might be well enough to go to school and try to do something different. And I did a little bit of research about what kinds of things were interesting out there. Did some like online career tests, um, and decided to try this boot camp. I also have a short attention span. I went to university, but I, I dropped out because I couldn't, I just couldn't stick with it. So I thought eight weeks was probably about, about my limit. And um, I just started the boot camp, and then um, I guess the rest is history. I just uh, went after jobs after that and, and got them. Okay, so we brought you on the show to t talk about learning Objective-C as, or, oh, we're learning Objective-C as a switch developer. Did I get that right? Yep. Okay, so you're going backwards. A lot of us, if you've been in this for a while, you learned Swift, or you learned Objective-C, and then we had to learn Swift after that, but you learned Swift first. Yeah, well, my bootcamp was actually in Objective-C, but at that point, it was really just syntax. Um, I didn't really know how to program when I came out of the bootcamp. I, I barely knew what I was doing. Um, it was more like WordPress theme development in a way. You know, I just copy code and make things appear on screen. Um, so even though I did use Objective-C, uh, I, didn't, I didn't really learn it. I just learned how to write things in that syntax. And then my first position uh, was Swift 
two, I think, had just been released and they decided that they were going to do a new project. So right from the start, um, I started learning Swift um, and really became a Swift specialist. I, I really like Swift quite a bit. Um, I follow along in the discussions and um, really find it interesting and exciting. And uh, in fact, my, my Stack Overflow, I don't know if you know, on your like profile, career profile there, you can select a technology that you don't like or that you won't work with. And mine actually says Objective-C. Um, so I've, I've multiple times turned down uh, interviews for Objective-C positions. However, um, in this case, it was different. The project was really interesting. And um, much to my surprise, when I got there and started working because it was, it, it's an SDK I work on now and not a, an app. And because it's so different, it's almost like I'm learning a new platform and not just a new, a new language. There are so many new things that uh, I've been introduced to that it's actually been quite enjoyable to learn and really interesting. Okay. And before our audience gets the pitchforks out, pitchforks out before saying Objective-C is not her favorite language, this is the majority opinion of most people that did not start programming in Objective-C. So mm -hmm. just letting you know yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and when I said that, you know, I really didn't have any context about Objective-C when I said that I don't like it. It's mostly based on my experience, which was, uh, you know, there's a lot more syntax, a lot more annoying things to type. Uh, it was really, really um, superficial reason for, for disliking it because I didn't really know the language. I had never actually learned the language itself. Um, and I think that, I think, I, I don't think that it's, it's my least favorite now. I mean, I, I would prefer still to, to work in Swift, but I'm happy that I'm here and that I've got to this chance to, to learn it. So, um, on that question, uh, how long have you been, you dived into this project at work, but how long has that been? Did you already say? No, uh, it's been about six months. Um, and it's a, it's a legacy project and I am the first iOS developer that this specific project has had. Um, so there's been a lot of, a lot of learning, uh, without somebody there to guide me. So, um, there's been a lot of online help <laughs> from people on Slack. Uh, I'm, I, I mean, that's where, where I know you, Andrew, and also Dave. Um, I, I spend a lot of time getting, being mentored and having questions answered. And uh, it's actually been really great because I've learned it in a way that's different than if I had just been on a project with other developers, because I would have had other developers just code review and be like, do this instead. And, but because I didn't have that, I really had to dive in and understand what was happening and, and really learn it in a way that I think uh, most developers who start with Swift and then maybe come onto an Objective-C project, I, I don't think that they would learn it the way that I've had to learn it, just out of necessity. It's been interesting to because I've I've watched and participated in some of the you know discussions you've had when you've had questions. Um, it's been interesting to see the things that come up that are like th things that cause you problems or get are confusing for you or whatever. It's been I learned Objective C fifteen years ago and and uh, it's hard it, you know sometimes when you're an expert at something it's hard to re remember what's hard about it for a beginner and so it's been pretty instructive. Um, to me to see, oh yeah, that actually is really confusing uh, yeah. if you haven't been doing it for 10 years, you know? Yeah. Like one of the things that I know it should be simple, but I still get stuck on, like even to this day, I will still get stuck on it is the whole like crash due to sending messages to know. Sometimes I look at something and I'm like, you know, 
if this is nil, is this going to be a problem? And I'll, I'll ask someone and they'll, they'll be like, you know, no, because, and the way that they say it is just so fundamental that I can tell they're like, why is she still asking this question? <laughs> but, you know, I, I really grew up as a developer under the optionals and my understanding of the way that no value works is completely different. And even though it's been six months, um, I think it might, it, it might be different if I had been on a, a project um, with other developers because maybe a lot of my learning time wouldn't have been divided on other things. Like maybe I would have got that because I wouldn't have had to be also learning a lot of other things. Um, the percentage of time that I have to put towards certain topics might be lower than if I had had, um, you know, people code reviewing and telling me just change this and this is why. Uh, there's just a lot of knowledge that I've had to take in and I have notes and sometimes I go through my notes and and I don't, I don't remember the conversation ever even happening, um, even though maybe that conversation happened two or three times, you know. Um, but that is definitely one of the ones that I, I know that that shouldn't be a complicated topic. And when, uh, when I read about it again, or when someone explains it to me again, I'm like, oh yeah, that's super simple. But then when I go to actually do something, I, I always find myself questioning it and having to, you know, do some open up a practice project and just verify. What you said about uh, messaging nil really resonates with me. I'm teaching iOS students right now, and just today we were covering uh, the concept of checking for nil. And it was I could see like their minds being blown as they realized that nil and zero and false and no are all exactly the same thing. Um, it was you're right. It's it's a very alien concept. Uh, when you're coming at Objective-C from a language like Swift. Yeah, so actually that's really interesting that you bring that up because I also didn't realize that. And I had um, a few times in, my, um, in some of my work, I had used true and false instead of yes and no. Um, and I had also used, I can't remember exactly what, but something else that was incorrect. But there was no problems in the code because I was only checking for not false. Um, or for not nil. I, I can't remember what the check was, but anyways, the, the check was, it was okay. But technically what I had done was, was wrong. You know, technically if I had done the opposite check, it, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have given me the correct, the correct result because I had, you know, I had put the wrong, the wrong value in there because, because false is, uh, you know, no and zero. And uh, it's not just a, an absence of a value. Yeah, so like uh, some value that it, uh, is truthy, we say, <laughs> evaluates to a true value, isn't necessarily equivalent to the value for yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. so I, I recently caught, caught some of that. I was doing some tests and, um, uh, and everything passed and I was looking at it and I was, why is this passing? And then I, I realized what I had done and, and it was fine because, you know, the, there was no actual bug because I was checking the other, the opposite. But if I had needed to check <laughs> that side of things, it, it would have it would have been incorrect, and I wouldn't have probably understood why. I would have been on Slack asking why is this, and had to have another lesson about about it, true or nil versus false. There's something about zero, and nil, and null, and false that all kind of glom in Objective C. Mm -hmm. Well, and Erica also. Uh, uh, it's good that you mentioned that because NS null versus nil. <laughs> this is like something. Oh, yeah, NS null. 
this took me a while to even realize things. Yeah. Would you explain about the role of NS null because that is an object? Yeah. So um, I had a property that was a I think it was a NS number, maybe I can't quite remember. But you know, it was I was checking for for nil um, and not getting the results that I expected. And the reason why is because it wasn't nil. It was actually NS null. It actually had a value um, and that concept I, I i felt like i had just figured out the nil message sending and, and the absence of optionals and all of a sudden i had this ns null that i had to try to figure out and it's really funny because these things sound so simple uh but it's like when someone comes from objective c into swift i know i've seen them they struggle with they struggle with um optionals um i had a developer i worked with who had been working for i think six years in objective c and came onto a swift project and I, I really saw him struggle trying to understand, understand the optionals, you know, I mean, his code was all correct because he copied the correct patterns and made sure that he was doing it correct, but it took quite a while for him to like understand what was happening there. And, you know, as a Swift developer, it seems so simple. And I think it's the same thing as Objective-C developer probably can't quite see why, why would, you know, nils, uh, nil versus ms null or sending messages to nil why would that be an issue um but for some reason that's that's one of the things that's been hard for to click in my head i had when i started learning swift uh optionals were definitely the thing that tripped me up the most i would kind of flail around a little bit and like xcode would suggest a fix it of putting in an exclamation mark and i just let it do it because like, well, i don't really know what else i'm supposed to do <laughs> Um, it seemed very confusing. And, and that has been fixed. The compiler no longer suggests that as the only solution. Yeah, so that was like in the very first, you know, in 2014 when it first dropped. But Yeah, that's good. I didn't know that it had been fixed because unfortunately I have been away from Swift now for about nine months. It's very sad. <laughs> so let me ask you a question, and, you know, there's no personal... Um, Thing behind this, but how do you like the for loops in Objective C? Uh, you know what? That's that's really funny that you mentioned that because um, Swift is really really abstracts a lot of stuff away, right? Um, so I rarely had to write any loops in Swift. I you know have enumerated um, that's you know or using map or flat map or filter. Um, and then in Objective-C, all of a sudden, I had to learn these, these things I had been introduced to and I was familiar with, but I had to look them up to, to get the, the syntax right. Um, so it's, it's kind of funny because that kind of stuff has um, increased my, uh, like made me a better programmer that way because I haven't been forced to actually learn and remember how to, how to do these things because they're just so long-handed and you really have to manage uh, you know, all of the, the scope and you have to manage um, that whole, the whole sequence of events. I don't know if that answered your question. But. I've got a question for you, Abby. Um, when I was first learning Objective-C, I came from a background of knowing some basic languages. Uh, so like Visual Basic or TI Basic and so on. Um, and I had never come across the concept of a pointer before. And when I was learning Objective-C, this was uh, on the Mac back then, um, it took me literally years to understand why NSView would get an asterisk next to it and NSRect would not. 
Um, what helped you learn the concept of pointers? You know, that's, that's a really good question. So when I worked in Swift, there is still a little bit of the concept of, of pointers you have to work with, especially prior to the new error types, really early Swift, and you're still using NS error. Um, but I, I really still didn't understand it. Um, and, and it didn't matter. I didn't really need to understand it because uh, an error, an error would show like the things would be caught. You didn't, you wouldn't accidentally have any kinds of problems due to that very rarely anyways. And so I, I never really needed to understand it. And when I came over into this objective C project, all of a sudden I really needed to understand it. And it was, it was quite difficult for me to learn that. However, I had a, um, a bug, my, that I had to work on, um, which involved um, threading. And because it involved threading, um, I really, really got into, um, I really got into the, the nitty gritty of the, the functions and the, the threading function, the dispatches um, that we're using it. And I started printing out everything. I, I was printing out, you know the the memory address as well as the value of every single property and even the NS threads that were being used and um, kind of as a side effect of doing that just while I was trying to to find this bug um, I actually got a really good understanding of the the concept of the pointers because all of a sudden I, I saw all these different memory addresses and this memory address of the pointer would match this one over here, um, but the memory address of the value that was inside the pointer was different. Um, and that, that really, that's really what, what did it for me. Um, after years of working in Swift, I, I did not really understand. I understood theoretically, but not really. And it wasn't until I, I really did something like that that I, I, I understood it. Are there other similar conceptual breakthroughs that really helped you level up your understanding of concepts in Objective-C? Yeah, uh, maybe not Objective-C specifically, but, but programming or iOS in general. Um, one of the things is that it never occurred to me that there were headers in Swift. Um, it, just, it just didn't occur to me that that was something that was there. And when I had a, a circular import issue, uh, somebody on Slack, I think, uh, I think it was Daniel Jelkwood actually, he helped me, he showed me how I could see the processed header fire, file, um, and all of a sudden I, I realized that, wait a minute, I bet you I can see processed header files in Swift projects too, and I went back and I looked at some, and all of a sudden it, it was kind of like this aha moment that, uh, you know, Swift and Objective-C were just, you know, different languages, but still functioned the same way that in order for the compiler to hook everything together, it had to have a header to know what what was available in each of those files. Um, I've had a lot of moments like that actually uh, coming to this project, rather than just an Objective-C app, coming into something that like, that really, um, really digs down into certain parts of the, of the frameworks, that Apple frameworks, it really made me a much better programmer because of things like that. Just these really interesting, um, scenarios or problems that you wouldn't necessarily have or have seen. And I definitely didn't when I was in boot camp and I, I made it to do app in Objective-C. You know, I, I didn't see any of this really, really interesting low level stuff. And I kind of felt like prior to this, um, there's no doubt that, that I was a good developer, that I was a good Swift developer, um, that I understood the Apple ecosystem, that, you know, I understood 
what Apple wants from apps and what we're aiming for and business requirements for apps and, you know, all of those things. Um, but, but there was a change coming into this project for me after a few months because um, I feel like I became more of a programmer uh, or more of an engineer, whatever terminology uh, makes the most sense to you. Because now I have, I almost have like a better understanding of the way that everything hooks together. In my previous position when I worked at Intel uh, on the Vonte R glasses, I worked a lot with the firmware and with um, the embedded team. And it was really, really interesting, but even their code to me just still seemed like just logic, just instructions. And I never really had this aha moment until coming into Objective-C of, of what the compiler really is and how everything is really, uh, you know, put together like a, a big puzzle and uh, tied together and intertwined. <clears throat> so I think the, the biggest thing, the biggest aha that has come through for me coming into Objective-C is these moments where I'm understanding these concepts and understanding a program at a much lower level than I than I did as a Swift developer. And, and I think even if I had stayed in Swift for a number of years, I don't think that I would have had this kind of understanding because it's kind of the whole goal of Swift is to abstract a lot of this stuff away and make it, make it simpler and make these errors and this knowledge not, not necessarily needed uh, in order to make you know, error-free or hopefully error-free projects. Whereas in Objective-C, you really have to do a lot more and you have to understand a lot more about the way that your classes tie together. How do you feel about that difference? Because like on the one hand, you've said that understanding the, the deep nature of how things are working and what they're actually doing uh, has made you a better developer. Um, and on the other hand, you've got the, the nice abstraction that Swift provides. Um, do you think that Swift is taking the right approach? Um, yeah, just how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think that I actually do think that Swift is is taking the right approach. Um, but I also believe that there's two different kinds of um, you know iOS or macOS or whatever, two different kinds of of developers. Um, I get a lot of flack for this opinion when I talk to brand new developers because they don't seem to really understand what I'm trying to say. But there's a difference between uh, making an app and you know developing software and if you're just making an app then Swift is great it it lowers the, the it's a lower barrier of entry it uh, is I find it faster I find developing in Swift faster um, there's a lot more help online uh, it's easier to ensure that projects are following uh, best practices because Apple does have their Swift naming guidelines and there's a lot of opinion out there, um, a lot of code style guidelines for Swift that are followed. Uh, so I definitely, I definitely do think that's good. And I don't necessarily think that every developer needs to understand the lower level stuff. There's nothing, you know, we have different specializations and there's nothing wrong with somebody being an amazing app developer and you don't necessarily need to know the the lower end stuff just like somebody who is doing more lower end stuff like what i'm doing right now doesn't necessarily need to know the the app stuff as well you know it's been 18 months maybe two years since i've done any ui um, at this point if i had to work in an app I, I mean i'd be fine but i would need to review stuff uh, but the point is that i don't need that knowledge in order to do the work that i'm doing right now and if i had never done that ui stuff in the past I would still be fine in my current position. Um, 
so I, I think that maybe maybe it's just that over time you know uh apple development maybe is maturing a bit and, and growing to the point that there can be two different subsets um you know there can be apps and there can be like lower level stuff whether they're frameworks or just lower level inside your own project at the last project uh, i did work on sample lab not an sdk but uh, we had a big enough team that I worked on the the internal layers and and not the UI layers. So I think Swift is is taking the right approach. I I did a um a work this is a little bit off on off topic, but I did a uh, taught a workshop this weekend um, for uh, I think there's about 20 women. And it's like a women learning skills group at one of the local universities, and they want to learn iOS app development and I did the very first class which was teaching them pro basic programming. I went through the Swift in 60 seconds video series, all 100 videos, and I organized them into what I thought was a logical order for people that ha had no experience and no uh, concept at all of programming. And it was amazing. Uh, we just had a, a six and a half, maybe seven hour day. And by the end of that day, you know, they were making classes, they were writing functions, they, they were understanding. And there's no way I could have done that with Objective-C. Uh, I would have had to explain a lot more concepts. And those women are going to be able to make a project by the end of this term and build their own little app. And, you know, that's, that's incredible. And I think that, I think that Swift is doing the right thing. And, but I also think that Objective-C can't be forgotten or left out and that, uh, you know, as developers get into different positions or have different needs inside their app, then that option is, is going to be there for them to, to use. Maybe one day it, it won't be needed. Maybe one day Swift will, you know, have everything, but, but for now, I think it's, it's good. That's an interesting point you made about having SDK developers and app developers, because for so long, iOS and Mac was mainly about the apps. Maybe you had someone that worked on an SDK, but now as we have like very large teams, there's people that, don't do any UI stuff. What in Objective-C helps you do your job as a lower level developer? Uh -huh. That's that's a really interesting question. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to answer it very well because I, I still am learning, uh, even though I'm, I know it better than I would have if I had just been working on Objective-C apps. I, I still, I'm still learning it. Um, there's still some things that, that I think I could do in in Swift. Um, sometimes I look at the the code that I'm working on and I think this would be so much easier in in Swift. Um, so I, I don't. What really are some examples like of things that are are harder in Objective C? Um, I think that I think that uh, handling threading is has been made simpler in Swift. Um, it's very very much the same api but there's just it's just it's more readable um it has it's got a lower cost of onboarding for people that that don't know um in the objective c uh threading implementations you know you really i, I find that I, I really have to think about it as i'm reading it and going through it whereas in swift i, I find it very straightforward and easy to follow um also in objective c uh the fact that the arrays uh, and collection types aren't type safe that can that can cause problems um, if you're not careful. Whereas in Swift, obviously, that's not that's not a concern. Um, there's also, of course, the 
um, uh, like the the sorry the protocols in Swift really nice um, testing and Objective C it can be a little bit difficult. I, I've written my test suite actually in Swift um, just because I found it easier to do that than I could add uh, protocols and extensions to the classes in the Swift test suite. Um, yeah, but I know that working in Objective C, you do have more control of certain things, and you can. Um, it's it's a lot easier to um, to do more of the the low level uh, like memory management. But I, I, it's really hard for me to answer this question because I'm not advanced enough in in it to be able to rattle you off a, a bunch of reasons why 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 it could be better. I'm sure that that there's people that can. <laughs> no, that makes a lot of sense. And while I was initially surprised that someone's learning from Objective-C coming from Swift, like that's going to become more and more common. Uh, people like you who have been developing for years may not have been developing in anything else other than Swift. That might be your first language. So this is a, a, com a common topic, at least one that's going to become more, more prevalent. Yeah, I, th I think so also. So like if... If someone was in the same boat as you however long ago, you know, they know Swift or they know some of the language and they're gonna be working on an Objective-C project, what would be the first thing you tell them to, to look up? Uh, I think that they need to have an understanding of, an understanding of the nil messaging because you can cause all kinds of havoc if, if you don't. Um, and definitely they need to have an understanding of the difference between uh, having a nil value and a, a false value or a not nil and a not false. Um, again, those those are concepts that can definitely uh, destroy or cause bugs that are difficult to find. I also think that um, since they're coming from Swift, they, they might have some problems understanding or following along with some of the programming decisions, like the architecture is can be all over the place in Objective-C projects if they're legacy projects because in, I find that in Swift community, there's there's a lot of, um, I guess you can call them thought leaders, a lot of people who speak at conferences and have blogs and um, even people that put out content like Paul Hudson or the Ray Wendelik website um, who give a lot of information about best practices and that kind of information is not available for Objective-C. Um, that's a lot of my conversations on Slack is asking people, you know, how would you do this? A lot of times I, I don't even need help for the things that I'm asking. Um, I'm just looking for the discussion and I will, you know, find something that maybe I did incorrectly and I fixed it already, but now I want to go back and see like, what was the best practice? And it's really interesting because a lot of people have a lot of different answers, whereas in Swift is oftentimes um, uh, the same answer that comes from people. And so I think that that's one of the things that's difficult to learn about Objective-C is that it's hard to discern when you're looking online, Stack Overflow and tutorials and blogs, uh, which ones are you know good or which ones are not good and which ones are, what is a hacky solution? Uh, what's not a hacky solution? Um, sometimes some of those Stack Overflow posts, they actually give you C code. And for my first few, my first couple of months, uh, I would not, I wouldn't recognize that this was C code. And then I would try to <laughs> try to, do stuff in the project and it, it wouldn't work. And I'd be so frustrated because it wasn't working. It wouldn't compile. Um, so I would say that someone coming from Swift, like definitely like learn, uh, learn and understand about nil messaging and learn and understand the difference between nil and, and no, and, or sorry, yeah, nil and no and not nil and, and uh, yes. Um, but also 
like just bring with you a lot of patience and question uh, what you see because if you just copy and paste what you find from Stack Overflow, you're you're not increasing the value of your your project at all. Um, you're increasing your technical debt. You could end up with with bugs because you don't understand what's happening. And also learn to read code. I, I learned to read code a lot better being on this project because I really had to understand what was happening inside that code. What seemed at first to be one thing might be actually doing something different because there is no specific standard way. Whereas in Swift, uh, reading code becomes fairly quick because you're you're quite used to things being done a certain way. And you just kind of, it, your brain kind of fills in those gaps and makes those assumptions for you that things are being done a certain way. Um, so I would say I definitely have learned to to read faster, read code, or not faster, but read code better. And someone coming over needs to bring with them a sense of, of patience. <laughs> okay, so you mentioned some Slack channels and talking to people. If people want to learn best practices for Objective-C, what are some good ways they can do that? Uh, I don't know. There's a couple of books. Uh, I have I have them, unfortunately. Uh, I haven't haven't really found the time to go through them. I know that, uh, or uh, actually, I can't remember who who has them. Uh, but I mean, I have books from like NS Hipster and um, uh, Object.io and or IO, sorry, and uh, Ray Wenderlich and also Paul Hudson. And I'm sure at least one of them, I think two of them, have Objective C for Swift developer books, which I own and haven't have a chance to get through, but that's probably a really good place to start if you have the time. Um, also though, just Slack, um, the iOS developers Slack has a Objective-C channel and people are great. One of the, one of the really good things is that usually uh, in the Objective-C channel, these are developers who have been working for a long time. Uh, it's not like Swift where you've got you know, newer developers and um, people that are just learning and who might not know the, the side effects or the possibilities of the answers that they're given. And quite often in the Objective-C channel, I, I notice someone will give me an answer and someone else will cut in and be like, oh, but don't forget this will cause this other thing to happen. And, um, you know, and then they'll discuss between themselves and then come to a, an agreement about what the, the right answer is. And it's awesome because I love watching these, these developers who have so much experience and, uh, you know, really discussing things and, like really being interested in it rather than just spitting out an answer. Um, so I, I really do like that. You can get some really quality quality advice uh, on Slack in the Objective-C channel for sure. Anecdotally, I think uh, Objective-C developers tend to be quite excited when someone else express interest in learning Objective-C. Um, and so when a developer comes along and says, yes, I do want to uh, learn Objective-C, they all get very excited and are eager to chime in. I, I, I certainly fit into that. And in truth, I think it's because when I started learning Objective-C, and I think the same is true of Dave, and I know it's true of, of Erica, it was before iOS, and it was uh, it was not a big language. You know, It was for doing Mac development, which not very many people were doing. And it felt like this underground thing, like we were these weirdos that used this language that nobody else knew about. Um, and we've basically gone back to that now, you know, even on in the iOS world, like, nobody cares about Objective-C anymore. So it's kind of fun when somebody joins in. Um, I wanted to mention, I, I wanted to say something about some of what you were just saying, which is 
that I think actually there is a lot of information out there about good practice in Objective-C and how to write Objective-C. It's just that it's sort of been swallowed up and buried by the last five years of Yeah, it's of so Swift. hard to find. You have to, you have to set the time on Google when you do a search. You <laughs> right. have to set it for like 2015 or earlier. Oh uh, yeah. Interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but that would do it. Um, I was going to recommend a couple books that I like. One is uh, Programming in Objective-C by Stephen Cochan. That used to be like the book that you would buy to learn Objective-C. Um, but he's kept it updated. I think it's in the sixth edition now. And I just actually saw that he has, he and another, and a co-author have a book called Advanced Programming in Objective-C coming out in May, uh, which That's looks cool. to be a, a brand new book about Objective-C. Um, I used to say for a long time that Stephen Cochan's original Objective-C book was my favorite programming book um, I'd ever read. And I've read a lot of them. Um, I thought it was really, really well done. Uh, so anyway, that, that'd be something to check out. The big nerd ranch has an objective C book. That's, that's quite good. And then I think Paul Hudson's, um, objective C for Swift developers book, while not, maybe not quite as comprehensive and thorough, uh, is, is really good. And it in particular, because it takes the sort of, it, it is particularly targeted at people who are already Swift developers. Um, it's written specifically for that perspective. Um, so there is stuff out there, but, but some of it's, you know, it's not every blog and every podcast and every Ray Wenderlich tutorial anymore. It used to be, but it's not anymore. Yeah. And it's hard on Stack Overflow. Actually, sometimes I'll, I'll search Google or Stack Overflow, uh, and I will have objective C in my keywords and it will only return my Swift results. Um, but, but I do find that setting the, the time on uh, the Google search does help. Um, one thing that uh, I realized earlier, you had asked a question about things that, that you learn in Objective-C rather than in Swift. And it's not necessarily um, that you can't learn them in Swift. It's just that you don't come across the problems at all. Like I've had more weird bugs that take more low-level debugging uh, in Objective-C than, than I experienced in Swift. Of course, we all always have bugs in our code and we always have to, you know, search for it. Hopefully those bugs don't make it to production, but we always come across weird, weird things. Um, and because of experiencing these things in Objective-C, I've learned more advanced debugging techniques, um, especially, uh, you know, tricks. From, uh, Daniel Jalkud has given me a lot of, a lot of tricks. And um, these are things that I, that never came up in, in Swift, partly because either, these weird issues didn't come up or partly because the Swift community is so verbal that if I Googled the, the problem or the error, I, I find a stack overflow that just tells me what the problem is. And in Objective-C, uh, that often isn't the case. Often you have to find it yourself. And because of that, it's, it's definitely, that, that's one of the things that has increased my, my knowledge level and understanding of, of the whole process and the whole, uh, you know, the app as a, or the SDK or framework, whatever it is you're working on as, as a unit, as its own thing with the compiler, how everything hooks together is definitely that, the fact that there aren't as many answers um, or the answers are harder to find sometimes um, versus, versus Swift. Do you think it's important for Swift developers to learn Objective-C? I think it depends on what they want to do. If someone wants to be a, a freelancer and, and make apps or work for an agency, uh, which is what I did for my first job and make apps, I don't think it's, I don't think it's that important. Uh, but I do think that learning, it makes you a better programmer. So it really depends on, you know, what people, what people's goals are. Um, I'm the kind of person that I, I really 
enjoy understanding what I'm doing. Um, actually, when I did my boot camp, I uh, I was not what you would consider a successful student. I was banned from career services because they didn't think that I was I was doing a good job. Uh, but the problem actually was not that I was not doing a good job. It's that I wasn't completing any of my assignments because I wanted to understand what I was doing. I refused to copy and paste code from anywhere. Um, so it took me a lot longer to to do something. But when I came out of my boot camp, I definitely understood what I was doing a lot better than most of my, my uh, classmates. Not all of them, but but definitely most of them. And so for me, going to Objective-C, uh, definitely something like doing, I didn't know before I, I, I did this jump, I didn't know that this knowledge was was missing, but I did know or rather, I did know that this knowledge was missing, but I didn't know that I would be able to to fill it in by learning Objective-C. Um, now that I do know, obviously, I'm, I'm really happy that, that I got to do that. But as, a, as the kind of person who likes to understand things, I, find, I found it frustrating sometimes when I, I didn't understand and, I, and reading something didn't help me understand um, in Swift or finding the answer didn't help me understand. And I could output a lot for sure, but it sometimes bothered me that I didn't know what was happening under the hood. And uh, so I, I don't think that necessarily everyone needs to, but I think it depends on what your personal learning goals are and what your personal career goals are. Very cool. So anyone have anything else before we get to the picks? Sounds like we're good. Andrew, what do you have for us? I have a, I have a, a, a Mac app actually um, that I just found out about today, but it excited me because I've wanted something that does this for a long time. Uh, it's called icon jar and it's, it's an icon organizer specifically. It's for organizing the kinds of icons that you would use as a designer or a developer. I know that I've got, um, I've got like, you know, all of the glyphish bundles that, that the guy who does glyphish has ever released, but they're all kind of in separate folders and I never can quite remember what's in each one. And I end up using spotlight to try to find what I want. Uh, it, with with this app, you can drag all those icons into the app and organize them however you want. It's got search and it lets you view them um, using different uh, colors. And any, anyway, it's pretty nice. Uh, and also, it's a native Mac app, which always makes me happy. A well done one. So uh, that's my pick, Icon Jar. Very cool, Dave. What do you have for us? So recently, I've been reading a book by uh, Arthur C. Clarke and Stephen Baxter called "The Light of Other Days." Um, it's a short science fiction story about what happens to our concepts of privacy and security once we've invented wormholes that can go anywhere and any when. Um, it's a really fascinating look at the implications of technology and how they affect our personal privacy. Very cool. That's a pick. So I, I've got one pick, and I'm going to pick Xcode because I, I'm working with the, on an app right now that needs to support some old versions, like iOS 9. I'm like, what, are you serious? Can we upgrade that? And they're like, yeah, no, we still have users on, on it. We need to support it. So I had to figure out how I want to do that. So I, I dug out my old iPhone 4S, and I've been doing it. But I've got a USB hub, and I've got two devices plugged into it just because I need to test the old stuff works along with the new stuff. I was 11, I was 12. And I can select the device I want to debug with, and Xcode does it reasonably well. Like uh, Xcode, I'm so proud of you. you know, I'm, so, I'm gonna take back all of the bad things I've said about you over the years. So, uh, worked pretty well. So yeah, plug in a USB hub and plug in multiple devices. And I'm really enjoying not having like my main 
phone is like my debugging phone. Cause I'm like, Oh yeah, I leave it, unplug it. So I can just leave it by my desk. It's cool. That's my pick. Abby, do you have a pick for us? Yeah, I do actually. Um, I have a, a Mac app called cheat sheet and, uh, I'm sorry, but I can't remember the name of the developer, but I'll give you the URL after. And what it is, is an app that when you hold down the command key, uh, you for a long, like two seconds, I think it is, uh, a full screen window will come up that gives you the keyboard shortcuts for every keyboard shortcut that's available to you. Uh, and it saves me so much frustration trying to find things in menus. I just hold down the command key and I look for the action I'm trying to do and then I have the shortcut. Awesome. That's, that's cool stuff. So Abby, thanks for coming aboard and thanks for being a guest. I think this is a, a useful topic for a lot of people. And I think a lot of people have been writing just Swift with their apps because a lot of people were just scared of Objective-C. But this don't is be, more Don't than be scared. Don't be scared. Are, <laughs> people are afraid of brackets, but they're not that scary. I learned it after years of you know, C sharp, C plus plus, that stuff. And I was scared. I was scared, but it wasn't that bad. And I, I, I still like going back to Objective-C projects, even though I don't do it that often. It's very comforting, kind of like vinyl, you know. But, uh, <laughs> I, I'd always choose Swift. I love Swift, but there's always a soft part in my heart, in my heart for Objective-C. Um, but that's it. That's our show. Uh, thanks, Abby. And for everyone else, we'll see you next week. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, getting a chance to talk about it. It's a topic that doesn't come up very often. Thanks, Abby. Thank you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.